Um, but before we get going today, I'm, I'm going to pray for us, because I, I need God's help to, to share what he wants to say with you. Father God, praise you. Praise your name. We lift you up this morning. We've enjoyed worshipping you and reflecting your glory back to you, God. And we just want to put you right at the center of this message once again. We want to take a moment just to invite your Holy Spirit um, to speak to us, and we want to invite him to minister to us through this time. So be with us, we pray. We want to give you the glory again and again. We praise you, God, and thank you for this morning. Amen. So today, as Dale mentioned, we're going to continue a series. We're on the second part of a series called Old Stories, New Stories. And in each week of this um, series, we're going to look at the scriptures, and we're going to look at specifically the gospels, which are biographies of Jesus. And we're going to be analyzing what Jesus was doing during his public ministry, mostly in the early first century. So that's where we're going to be, and it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be really interesting to see who Jesus encounters and what happens with those encounters um, throughout the weeks coming up to Christmas. And today, we're going to look at a specific passage in the Gospel of Luke. It's in chapter 18, and it's verses 35 to 43. And if you have a Bible, you can pick it up and find those verses Um, If you don't have one, we've got some at the back, if you would like one of those. If you um, don't have one, or for whatever reason you'd like one, we'd be happy to get you one to take home with you as well. So, yeah. So, in this story, um, in Luke chapter 18, uh, where a blind man is is calling for Jesus, we're going to see how he responds. But before we do that, I reckon there's been at least one time in your life where something like what is happening in the video I'm going to show you has happened. So hopefully it's going to show up behind me. Hattie's on the controls. I'm going to move this over out the way just so you can all see. Um, Hattie, do you think it's going to work? What do you think? Let's say yes to that. Why not? Go crazy. And let's say yes to that one as well. Oh, no, we said no. Okay. Here we go. Alan! 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 Al! Alan! 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 Oh, so that's not Alan. Steve, that's Steve. Steve! 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 No, no, that's not Steve, that is Alan. Alan! Alan! Al! Alan! 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 Did someone just say my name? Hey! 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 You say Alan! So, That might have happened in your life. You might have had that occasion where you think you see someone in the distance and you recognize maybe the back of their head or the top of their ear or something, and you're like, Alan, 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 and you're, wave, you're waving, you're waving, and you, you stop waving, and then you step back a little bit, and then you look around, and you think, hang on a minute, maybe it wasn't them. No, it definitely was them. But if you're in anything like me, in the moments after you've realized that they just, you haven't got their attention, you look around, and you just want to check that no one has seen what happened. Uh, and they, they, you look around, and you see if anyone's viewed your foolish antics. And in that moment, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's a little bit upsetting and a little bit hurtful when someone doesn't respond to you, when you call out to them. And when you see them next to you, you'll often ask, didn't you see me? And they're thinking, obviously not. <laughs> uh, and you're maybe a little bit upset and outraged that you were easily missed. Or maybe it's happened to you in a different arena, okay? Maybe it's happened in the digital arena. Young people, this might be more relevant for you. You send a Snapchat, no reply. You send a hilarious WhatsApp GIF, no response. Even more annoyingly, you text the person asking for something that is time critical, 
and you see they've read the message and yet they haven't responded. And so you submit to the fact that actually probably the best thing to do is to phone them up, one of those old-fashioned phone calls, one of those. And, uh, and then there's no answer, and they have no voicemail, and it's frustrating. And you can't give an illustration like this without holding your own hands up and saying, I'm sorry, because I know I've been on both sides of this illustration. I've been the person saying, why won't you reply? But I've also been the person going, God, I'll just reply to that later. So I'm sorry. I hold my hands up. If I've done this to you, I repent. Thank you for being gracious to me. Now, let's look at what Jesus does. Let's look at what, how Jesus responds to people who call, who call on his name. And we're going to pick up the story a short time before Jesus meets a man called Zacchaeus, who Tim spoke about last week. And uh, we're going to read this particular record of the story, which is in Luke's gospel, but it's also in the gospels of Matthew and Mark. And though the details of the encounter vary slightly, um, they're generally along the same lines. And you can read those other ones if you want to. But Luke is a reliable source. He's a storyteller. He's a historian. He went and got eyewitnesses of things that happened just so he could provide a reliable account for his readers. And so let's read what happens in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 to 43. As he, that's Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Amen. There we go. So this encounter with Jesus takes place near the town of Jericho. And at this particular time of year, when Jesus is passing by, there are thousands of people heading towards another place called Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And plenty of these people on their way make a pit stop in Jericho to stock up on supplies because they've got a long old walk ahead. And it's a little bit like Christmas in this country when the holidays come and then everybody goes to their own uh, place to celebrate Christmas. And you get to a service station and it's just so busy. There's just so many people around and you don't know who that child belongs to and you try not to worry about it. And then you carry on with what you were trying to get. And then you get back in the car and off you go and join another traffic jam. It's busy. It's a busy, busy time of year and people are moving around. And so Jesus is walking along towards Jericho and he has a crowd following him. He's been conducting his public ministry for some time, going out and teaching. And some people have seen his miracles. Others have just heard a few phrases about him. And others have actually sat down and listened to the things that he said that have been revolutionary. Things like, love your enemies. What is this guy all about? So some have heard that he is also the long-awaited Messiah. And others just think, oh, maybe he's just another guy. Meanwhile, there are beggars, beggars of all shapes and sizes, lying either side of the road, calling out to the rich passing pilgrims for money. Some are maimed, others are blind, others deaf. 
They smell, they're dirty, they have scraggly beards, some of them, and uh, they're covered in dust from the road. And so, as Jesus is passing, the blind beggar hears the hustle and bustle that is above the norm and says, what's going on? And the people say, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, he's coming by. And it's then that he cries out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what do the crowd do? The religious pilgrims who are following a rabbi tell the poor blind man to pipe down. They say, Jesus is busy. He hasn't got time to talk to you, beggar. Be quiet, stop interfering. But the blind beggar is not deterred and he cries out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops, brings him near, heals him, sparking jubilation among the crowd and his new follower. And when reading this passage, I had three things kind of jump out at me, which I want to uh, give to you today. And uh, I hope that these points will propel us into another term um, of witnessing, another term of sharing the gospel together as we build towards the Alpha Course in January. And uh, I really hope these motivate you. I really hope you uh, are encouraged and uh, head out there to speak to people about Jesus after these. And here are the points for you. Number one is what you call Jesus counts. Number two is call on Jesus with persistence and faith. And number three is Jesus responds to those who call on his name. So let's kick off with number one, what you call Jesus counts. Now, titles and names are important. Uh, I explained my name before we began. And what I wanted to do briefly is look at the two names Jesus gets called in this passage. In verse 36b, uh, the crowd refer to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, which on the reading of it just points to kind of where he's come from. If you put your name where Jesus' name is and your hometown where Nazareth is, you kind of get your equivalent name in that regard. I would be Simon of Godstone. Um, It could be quite a fun game. You could play it with your family over lunch. Enjoy that. Um, Where are you of? But in contrast, the blind beggar cries out, Jesus son of David, which has much, much more weight to it. Now, from the crowd's perspective, as I mentioned, Jesus could just be some guy from the back end town of Nazareth, or he may be somebody else. He may be a somebody, or he may not. But where the blind beggar can't actually physically see Jesus, he's heard enough about him to know that he's more than just another teacher. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, and it's worth explaining what that means, because it's a powerful theological and political statement to simply start shouting out in public at that time. So I'll explain the theological side, then I'll explain the political side. So theologically speaking, which basically means discussion within the Bible, what does it mean within the the Bible? The blind beggar is declaring something significant. He's saying, this guy is a long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel who was prophesied about over 300 times in the Old Testament scriptures. And he refers to a particular prophecy which came about around a 1,000 years before Jesus' birth. He's referring to these ancient scriptures that declare of an eternal king of Israel who would be a descendant of a human king, David. And the name for this promise given by God is the Davidic Covenant, And you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 8 to 16. But rather than getting too deep into that and and reading it all through to you, I just wanted to read you the last verse of that covenant, which is God speaking to King David at that time. He says, 
in verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. And he's speaking about a dynasty. He's speaking about a house, a kingdom, a thing that is going to carry on into eternity. And Yahweh, the God of the Bible, assures David, the human king, that he will continue his kingdom forever through David's bloodline. And the only person who can fulfill that role of eternal king is the Messiah, the acknowledged, that who is acknowledged by the blind beggar, Jesus. And it's one of those beautiful occasions in Scripture that we get to see as followers of Jesus where Old Testament and New Testament just get joined up and a small story happening here in the New Testament connects to a bigger story about King David in the Old Testament, which then connects into a massive story, which is the whole Bible, which is all about Jesus and how he will reign forever and should be made our king. It's a wonderful moment that we get to realize that. And this is what's happening right there. Now, I reckon that this cry from the beggar would have shocked a bunch of people in the crowd because it's not only theologically significant, it's politically significant. The title Son of David has political connotations. And at that time, the nation of Israel was under Roman rule. And the people there longed for their own king to be in charge, not a Roman Caesar. And there was general discontent. Taxes were high, and there was oppression by the Romans. And in their midst, a blind beggar of all people pipes up words of critique against Roman governance. Suddenly, perhaps it makes more sense why the crowd told him to be quiet. But here's the thing. He is spot on about Jesus' identity. And Jesus responds when he hears his ancient title being proclaimed. And he responds not because he's just some guy, but because he is who the blind beggar says he is, the son of David. And it's ironic that the blind guy can see this is true. Across the gospel, some people do refer to Jesus as God, but no one else in Luke's gospel uses the term son of David. So what you call Jesus counts. And many of us here would call Jesus our Lord and our Savior, our God and our King. We might even call ourselves followers of him. But others might be here for the first time today, and the only time you've ever heard Jesus referred to is when someone was shouting out a swear word. And at the moment, you're probably like, well, I don't know what I would call him. Would I just call him just some guy, or would I call him son of David? I don't know. And others still might have heard a bit more about him. You might have been to primary school and been part of one, a, a situation where you sung about Jesus when you were really, really young, and you, you're still not sure what to make of him, and you want the whole picture before you decide. Uh, and that's great, because uh, I run a course called Just Looking, where you can come and find out more about Jesus from this very gospel, Luke's gospel. But what you, really call, what you call Jesus really does count, because it actually reveals who you truly believe he is, and that makes all the difference when you encounter him personally, like the blind beggar did. So that's point number one, what you call Jesus counts. So the blind beggar calls on the son of David, and how does he go about it? Well, he does it with persistence and faith, which brings us to point number two. Call on Jesus with persistence and faith. Now, the marmot at the beginning was really, really persistent, wasn't he? He really, really wanted Alan's attention. He wasn't going to give up anytime soon, and even when he was told it was Steve, he still went after Steve and wanted Steve's attention, and then he realized it was Alan again, but he didn't give up. He's a persistent marmot. Respect. But... 
imagining this moment in, in the story, in this gospel, um, actually kind of cast my mind back to when I saw Glastonbury on TV. And I don't know if anyone's ever watched Glastonbury on TV. For me, it's like almost a little bit weird to watch music that's being performed somewhere else on TV. I, I don't know. It doesn't quite work for me. But I remembered seeing this pan shot of the camera of people who have queued up for days probably to get the tickets and then hours to get to the front row, all screaming out and crying to, I don't know, I'm going to use Michael Bublé as an example. I don't know if there's any Bublé fans in here, but I saw him in the rain in, in August supporting my wife. Man points uh, for me, husband points. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the principle being that people there at the front just scream and they're crying out and they, the music is too loud, people. I almost wanted to like tell them that he's not going to hear you. Like he's down there, he can't, but they're persistent. Whatever the odds, they're, they're shouting out for Michael Bublé to look at them. And Bublé, well, he just does his thing. I mean, he's cool, isn't he? He's pretty, he's pretty smooth. But he, he can't pull someone, everyone out of the crowd and, and grab them. And he doesn't. But they are persistent. They don't give up. The blind beggar here, too, he isn't willing to give up on calling for Jesus. And in verses 37 and 38, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then again, son of David, have mercy on me. His cry is one of desperation. He really, really wants Jesus' attention. And I wonder if you would imagine with me just for a moment what would have happened if he'd given up after the crowd had told him to be silent. Imagine if he'd believed that Jesus wasn't actually interested in him, all because some people fed him a lie. And this kind of reinforces what Claire was talking about with freedom in Christ, um, which can happen to us as well. You can be fed the lie that actually Jesus isn't really that bothered about you. He's, he's got things to do. He's busy, you know, ruling the universe, like there's a big to-do list. He, he's not, you can be fed that lie. And, and freedom in Christ, that course undoes that thinking. It, it, it actually replaces that thinking with the truth, which is, no, no, he knows you by name and you are his workmanship. But just imagine if the blind beggar had given up. He may never have met Jesus if he'd kept silent, and he may have remained blind. Now, when preparing to preach, uh, I like to read the chapters around the passage to get a better understanding of the context uh, of what's going on. And earlier in this same chapter, Luke chapter 18, there's a parable that Jesus tells, a small story with a big truth. And that parable is called the parable of the persistent widow which caught my eye. And in this parable, there's a judge. And the judge is self-confessed, unrighteous, and he gets bothered by a widow who is looking for justice against her adversary. And he, an unrighteous judge, eventually relents. He's eventually like, right, fine, have justice, I'll sort it out. There you go, settle. And this lesser example of a human judge uh, is reflected against a greater example of God and his people. And Jesus says in this parable, and will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Those who cry out to God persistently will get a response from him. The blind beggar doesn't give up after one attempt when calling on Jesus. And though he isn't calling for justice like the widow in the parable, he is calling on the righteous judge, Jesus, to act. And this principle of persistence, I believe, is actually something God wants to kind of feed into us as we begin our week of prayer tomorrow. It's, it's going to start, and we're going to pray a lot this week. And 
I believe he wants us to continue to cry out to him, continue to cry out to our Father in heaven and not lose heart for the things that we've been believing him for, for healings, for salvation, for growth, for hope, for guidance. And so I'm going to challenge you this week. I'm going to challenge you to be persistent and go to more prayer meetings in the week of prayer than you've ever been to before. There's my challenge to you to be persistent. Now, we need to be like this blind beggar. We need to be like this guy who cries out persistently and in faith. And once he's got Jesus' attention, Jesus commands the crowd to bring the beggar over. And I really like this little detail just in the gospel, in the story, where Jesus isn't content with shouting at this guy from a distance. He's not content with giving instructions over a long distance. He, he commands the beggar to be brought near. And there are multiple uh, vo- uh, verses we can pick out if we had time, Deuteronomy, Psalms, where uh, it says that God is near to those who call on him. And Jesus lives it out in that moment. He draws the beggar who called on him near. And he asks the beggar, what do you want me to do for you? And the beggar, rather than asking for money, or a house, or food, or fame, he replies, Lord, let me recover my sight. He has faith that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that he's the living, breathing fulfillment of another Old Testament prophecy, which we would find in Isaiah 29, verse 8. That prophecy reads like this. It says, in that day, i.e. the day of the Messiah, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. And so he says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Because he believes this is for him. He believes this is the moment. He wants to see. He wants to be part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And Jesus replies, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Imagine that moment if you can. If you have, well, if you have, if you want to. Then close your eyes. Imagine that this answer has just come to you. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And imagine opening your eyes and seeing Jesus' smiling, beaming face. That's great. That's like a great moment. You can get to imagine it. And we get to be put in the story here if we do that. This blind beggar has been walking in darkness his whole life, perhaps. And he receives his sight, and the first thing he sees is Jesus' face. And do you know what? This kind of gives me comfort. I mean, I, I heard recently a, a testimony. I think it was um, uh, Linda talking about her father and that last moment, that last moment of response to him and him passing away. And I, this gave me comfort that actually the, the day that I close my eyes for the last time, the next time I open them, I'm going to see Jesus' face. And I'm really excited about that. That was just a moment I had when I was reading it. And once the crowd see this miracle happen, they can't help but praise God with the beggar. And just looking into the text, into that phrase, the your faith has made you well phrase, literally translated, it reads, your faith has saved you. It's faith in Jesus that saves the blind beggar from a life of darkness. And so what happens next? It says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. As well as being physically healed, something else has changed in the heart of the beggar. He has been saved from a life of physical darkness and spiritual darkness, and he immediately commits to following Jesus. 
Now, this man could have received his sight and just walked the other way. He could have gone to go and, you know, find his family and tell them and uh, get his friends together and say, hey, look, or, or, or tell the story somehow, somewhere. But no, rather than walking away like some other people have after being healed in the previous chapters of Luke, he sticks close to Jesus and he decides to become one of his disciples, one of his followers. And this points us to the fact that that change of heart, that spiritual healing that has taken place must have been significant. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in point three. But for now, we just need to remember that to be like the blind beggar, we need to call on Jesus with persistence and faith. That's point two. So, so far we focused on the blind beggar and Jesus. We know what's happened with those guys. Now I want to look more towards the crowd because I think the last point really is for them. Point three. Jesus responds to those who call on his name. Now, the crowd that are following Jesus, uh, I'm I'm sure they're very keen. I'm sure they're very attentive. But they seem to miss a simple truth. They don't think that Jesus cares about or has time to respond to the blind beggar. They have been persuaded that Jesus has higher priorities than reaching out to those lesser than themselves. But the truth is that Jesus responds to those who call on his name for salvation. The Jews in the crowd would have considered Jesus one of their own, one of their fellow Jews, only interested in what Jews are doing and their well-being. But Jesus demonstrates that he, the Son of God, genuinely cares for all people. And in those previous chapters, again in Luke's Gospel, it reveals that Jesus cares for more than just Jews. He forgives a Samaritan woman who has faith. He forgives ten lepers with, uh, with faith in a story previously to, prior to this. He forgives a a prostitute in the home of Simon the Pharisee, who believed. And he forgives a Roman centurion who considered himself unworthy of Jesus' presence. He marvels at his faith, in fact. And in the Gospels, Jesus shows us that he cares for all mankind in its diversity and that no one is beyond redemption. And the same is true today. Our risen Jesus can save anyone. Later in the book of Romans, if you've read that book, The Apostle Paul, leader of lots of churches in the New Testament, says this in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 of his book. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and gives richly to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. The people who don't look, sound, and behave like us. The people perceived by society as unworthy or smelly or dirty or poor, they can be saved if they call out to Jesus in faith. Everyone, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, can call on his name. And in case you're here for the first time and you're wondering what what a human being is being saved from, I just want to give you a little bit of explanation for that. Because when we talk about being saved, it makes sense to tell you what we're actually being saved from. And the, things we need, the thing we need saving from is our sin. It's the things that we do, think, and say that offend God, that, that commonly people would say the things that are wrong, things that we just gutturally know are wrong. And you might disagree with me, but no one here is perfect. Everyone has committed sins against God, and even the very best humans are not good enough to go to heaven. Even the very best humans can't be perfect 
and no one can earn their way to heaven. I, I used to think that. I used to think that I could earn my way into heaven by doing more good than bad. It's just not true. It's just not the gospel. The truth is we'll never be able to do enough good to outweigh our bad. We're always going to fall short of perfection. And it's this imperfection which can't be in the presence of God. And each of our earthly sins, those little things from the tiniest lie to the uh, biggest theft of any kind and all the others, they deserve eternal punishment because they are sins against the eternal and infinite God. If you like, it's the height and level of the dignity that we offend that counts, not the amount or how long we offend for. And so all of us need to receive salvation for Jesus if we want to be with him in heaven and have a relationship with God. And until we understand that we need to be saved from our sins, we're as blind as the blind beggar before he meets Jesus. Now, if we were to continue reading through Luke's gospel, another few chapters, then we'd learn the lengths that Jesus went to in order to save every woman, man, and child on this earth from their sins, past, present, and future. Jesus' journey ends in Jerusalem, sometime after this event. And presuming that the no longer blind beggar followed him for the duration, he would have seen Jesus conduct some public ministry in Jerusalem. He would have seen Jesus refute the tricks and accusations of jealous religious leaders who tried to make him sin against God without success. He would have witnessed Jesus' arrest at nighttime on false charges by those same leaders and the governors. Then he would have seen Jesus brutally flogged for doing nothing wrong before witnessing him nailed and lifted up on a cross, the cross that Dale described in the worship with Jesus' arms spread, nailed there. That's what he would have seen. The beggar would have encountered Jesus crying out to his father, even through his pain and sweat and tears and blood, to forgive the soldiers who were crucifying him, who didn't know, presumably, that they were crucifying the saviour of the world. And the beggar probably would have trembled the moment that the sky went dark and the ground shook as Jesus took his very last breath. Seeing the man who healed his blind eyes with a word, crucified, must have been devastating for our beggar just as it would have been for all of those who followed him at the time. But it wasn't going to be long until he encounters Jesus again. Three days later, Jesus' borrowed tomb was found empty. Jesus was resurrected from the dead and appeared to his followers in the flesh, talking with them, eating with them. I can only imagine their jubilation, their celebration at this realization. So many Asians in there. Sorry about that. Uh, realization that he had actually fulfilled everything he said he would do in being resurrected and meeting with them again. And how marvelous the sight of the resurrected Jesus would have been for our beggar, who I expect would have been prepared to follow him as well after he was resurrected and would have followed him all the way for 40 days after that day when he ascended into heaven just outside Jerusalem. When the blind beggar received his sight, It was his faith in Jesus that saw him physically healed, and in that same moment, he had his sins forgiven, past, present, and future, and Jesus had mercy on him. And on that day, the crowd of Jesus' followers learned that God will save anyone who calls on his name, and that is still true today. Jesus responds to those who call on his name. 
And so, in summary, the things I want you to remember, point one, what you call Jesus counts. Who do you believe he is? If he was just some guy from history, then calling out on him probably won't help you. But if you believe he is the Son of God, and living and active today, and interested in you and your life, then you can call on him to heal you, to save you today. Point number two was call on Jesus with persistence and faith. Don't give up calling on Jesus during this term and this year when we're asking for witnessing opportunities. Don't give up on asking him for them. Don't give up on asking him for the salvation of friends, colleagues, relatives, and neighbors. Point three, Jesus responds to those who call on his name. In the past few months at Kings, we've had the joy of seeing four people call on Jesus to save them from their sins. Three of those people came from doing the Alpha Course with us, being witnessed to, being loved, um, and a, another person at New Day became a Christian as well, which was fantastic. And I just want to encourage you with that, that we are, we are seeing God work through this church. We are seeing God work in our witnessing, and I just want it to spur you on to say, great, four in 2018, let's go for 10 in 2019. I want to give you faith for that. And lastly, I want you to let this passage motivate you to continue asking people the question, have you ever encountered Jesus? Would you like to find out more about him? Come and join me on a Sunday. We'll be at Oxford School. And for those of you that are anything like me, you just need something on the to-do list. You need some boxes. You need a pen and paper. Well, here you go. For this week, and it's time critical, it's just in this week, I want you to try try and do these things. Ask one person. Who do you say Jesus is? Come to more prayer meetings than you've ever been to before during a week of prayer. And lastly, speak to someone who is different from you and ask them, how are you? Listen to their answer and just see where it goes. That's my little bit of application for you. So I'm going to invite Tim and Carrie to come back. Um, It'd be great if in a few minutes we could sing that same song we sang at the end of the worship time. Um, not Not the very last one, the one before that. Calling out to him again and again. That's the phrase I loved in that song, and I want want that out there. That'd be great. But as I mentioned earlier on, um, it can be painful, and it can be humiliating, and it can be hurtful when you call out to someone and they don't see you, even if they're really far in the distance and and there was really no no chance that they would turn around and and get your attention. But you can be hurt by that. And I, I just sensed when I was writing this that there might be people who are in those positions where they've gone, I've called out to Jesus for this again and again, and I'm just tired, and I'm a bit hurt, and I'm a little bit humiliated, and I'm just, I just feel for you guys. I just, I just want to offer you a moment this morning for the Holy Spirit to come and comfort you and give you peace. It's almost as if God was saying to me, this isn't a moment to cry out again. Actually, he knows. He knows, and he's heard you, but it's almost a moment where he can bring you near and have that chat with you and, and just speak into your life. So if you don't mind closing your eyes, I'm going to pray for anyone who's, who relates to that, who that resonates with, just feeling a bit wounded by, by not being responded to perhaps or feeling like you weren't responded to in that way.